are not gathered unto fables, we are gathered unto the truth. In other words, what we're teaching, what we're practicing, living by has to be the truth. So when people look to the local church, they should be able to see the local church as the bastion of truth, the pillar of truth, the post of truth. That is the place where truth is defended and preserved. No adulteration. Truth is a place where you are being built up, where the truth is being taught. But however, the truth is spoken in love. See, if the truth is not taught, there will be no growth. The saints are situated and planted in the local church for growth. It is in the context of the local church that the teaching and the knowledge of God will be comfortable. Why? Because it is the shepherds that have been commanded and anointed to feed the flock of God. There is no such thing as self-feeding in the body of Christ. The entrance of God's word gives light and understanding. Welcome to a season of blessing and transformation as God's word comes to you through the ministry of our senior pastor, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi. Stay blessed. Glory to God. All right, Paul's writing to Timothy, the first epistle of Paul to Timothy, chapter 3, and the 15th verse, 1 Timothy 3, 15, for short. But if I tarry long, Paul said, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the troops. So notice again, he didn't say truth, he said the truth. You see that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am the way, truth, and life. No. The definite article. You know, if you studied English, you see, they say now Nigerians don't need to write a uh, test of English to apply to universities in the U.S. anymore. Uh, oh, you didn't know? <laughs> oh, you didn't know. You don't have to. So uh, some people protested. Uh, about a year ago and so that how do you how can you tell us that english is not our first language in nigeria speak english even though it's not correct <laughs> <laughs> because even these americans don't speak correct english anyway yes, so anyway now many of you now know so perhaps after this service, i say ah that was the reason why i did jackpot You see, so, so definite article, the truth that tells you there are other truths, but this is the truth. Or better still, there are other things that want to pose to be the truth. So it distinguishes and says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Do you see this? You notice Paul writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, verse 20 to 22, said, Ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Do you see that ye put up concerning the old or former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful law. So notice, he tells us there that the truth is found in Christ. Because now understand this, last week we looked at that. Christ is the truth and the truth of God is found in Christ. We, we looked at what truth we, uh, we mean when we say Christ is the truth. And I hope you, uh, you have not forgotten what we taught last Sunday. And just to be sure you haven't forgotten, I'll go over it a little bit. All right. Uh, we looked at Christ the truth, you know, 
We also saw that the truth is found in him, as I just showed you from Ephesians 4, 20 to 21. We said Christ is the truth of God. All truth about God is found in Christ. All right, so that all the truth about God is found in Christ. John 1, 18 tells us, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, and that declared means he had made him uh, known, made him apparent. Do you see this? He has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. That's the way the Amplified Classic puts it. And then uh, in First uh, John 5.20, the same John now in his epistle, he says, And we know that the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. Can you see that? And we are in him. That is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, he said, this is the true God and eternal life. So Jesus Christ is the one in whom we find the truth about God. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 13th to 15th verse, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then in verse 14, he says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby the lying went to what to deceive verse 15 says but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even christ so notice he said again speaking the truth so it's not just any kind of teaching that is going to make you grow it has to be the truth did you see this and this the truth is christ Christ is that truth. Hallelujah. Christ is the truth that we feed on. And so last week we looked at the person of Christ. And we saw that Christ is God. He is God. We saw it in many, many scriptures. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 7, 14. Matthew 1, 21 to 23. Micah 5, 8. John 7, 42. Matthew 2, 3 to 6. We saw how Thomas alluded to Jesus as God in John 20, 27 to 28. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my god apostle paul calls jesus god severally romans 9 5 whose are the fathers of whom as concerning the flesh christ came who is over all god blessed for ever in colossians 2 9 he says for in him dwelled all the fullness of the godhead bodily and in first timothy 1 17 you see paul in verse 17 particularly saying now to the king eternal immortal the only wise god invisible did you see calls jesus the only wise god in first Timothy 3 16 you see paul again saying that great is the mystery of godliness god was manifest in the flesh and he's talking about jesus christ did you see uh, according to john 1 14 the word was made flesh and dwelt among us titus 2 13 you see paul again writing to titus he said looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great god and our savior jesus christ that and is the greek word kai k-a-i and here the tsks in theology applies tsks is simply the substantive kai substantive meaning this and is not a conjunction it's an explanation he's not talking about two different entities when he says god and savior but he's trying to use the savior to describe the god he's talking about so when he says looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of a great god so you is better read in the originals as which is our savior jesus christ do you understand that now so he's not talking about god as one person our savior jesus Christ is another person. He's actually talking about the same persons. So he says God, and then he's trying to use that our Savior Jesus Christ to let us know which God he's talking about. Yes. Did you see that? So it is better read as the great God, which is our Savior Jesus Christ. So he calls Jesus God yet again. And then you notice 
We saw last week other places where Paul calls Jesus our God uh, and Savior. First Peter, uh, Timothy 2, 3, Titus 1, 3, Titus 2, 10. Hallelujah. And then on and on. We saw so many scriptures. Apostle John does, says the same. Jude alludes the same. It's amazing in Jude's case because Jude is the Lord's brother in the flesh. And yet Jude writes and calls Jesus our God and Savior. Jude chapter 1 has only one chapter. Verse 24 to 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise god our savior be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and ever amen you see the writer of hebrews also in hebrews 1 8 but unto the son he saith thy throne o god the lord himself also says so of himself in revelations 21 6 to 7 and he said unto me it is done i am alpha and omega the beginning and the end i will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely seven he that overcometh shall inherit all things and i will be he is what Lord. come on now i will be his what Lord. this is the lord jesus himself saying i will be his god and so we looked at the works of christ all right last week preaching was his work jesus a preacher we also looked at jesus as a healer and that's part of his work he healed everywhere he went and we saw that the major work of Christ was his redemptive work. He is our redeemer. He is our redeemer. His redemptive work, he said himself in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. Hallelujah. And you notice he saved us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Do you see this? We also looked at the words of Christ. And as we looked at the words of Christ, we ended with one of his very powerful words in Perhaps one of the shortest words Jesus ever said. And that's actually, I think, uh, it's not the shortest verse in Scripture. The shortest verse in Scripture, you should know that Jesus wept. I think this should be next in line. Remember Lot's wife. How many of you remember Lot's wife? Remember Lot's wife. And I told you last week, that was a very stern warning. Because of all the characters of the Bible, Jesus doesn't say remember David. He didn't say remember Abraham. He didn't say remember uh, 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 who again? Who is good? Who is nice? He didn't say remember Joseph. He didn't say remember uh, Solomon. Just had to put your name in there. He didn't say remember Solomon. Praise God. But he says remember Lord's wife. Remember Lord's wife. Do you see? Why is he saying remember Lord's wife? I told you a few things last Sunday. That, that woman represents a, a whole lot of things. It's a warning against materialism. It's a warning against attachment to things. It's a warning against forsaking your own mercies. Did you see this? Because this woman was exposed to the mercies of God. Her husband had stepped outside of God's will. And God showed him mercy, but he insisted on staying outside of God's will. Because when he was kidnapped and Abraham came to rescue him. That was the mercies of God. And that, that rescue was supernatural. Abraham was a householder, a man, he's a civilian. And he had 318 men from his house and went to war against five nations and won. And he had only one purpose for going to that war, just to rescue Lot. And again, that will tell you, God will go to any length to rescue you. Yes, sir. Any length. Because when the war was over, Genesis 14... The king of Salem uh, came, uh, of course, that's making Melchizedek now, came in. Uh, uh, he's called king of Salem. But the king of Sodom now came to Abraham and, and offered him and said, you know, take the goods. And Abraham said, I don't need any of this. 
And I was saying, I didn't come to fight for things. I came to rescue this guy. And God made it possible for him to do it. Lot's wife saw that. But that didn't mean anything to her. Lot should have gone back to Abraham and left Sodom immediately after that rescue. But he stayed on until the whole of Sodom and Gomorrah went up in flames. And yet God still showed mercy. Angels came there. The angels coming there was enough. But God didn't stop at that. The angels took them by the hand. And escorted them out of the place. What more can God do? Or should God And she still had the guts. Because the angels warned them and said, don't look back. And, well, she's been used to cook all kinds of things. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> Did you see this now? But it's a warning. So you see a lot of things that warning represents. And so, we've seen, therefore, that Christ is a Jew. But today we're looking at the local church as the place of truth. The place of truth, the place for spiritual growth. Because this is what Paul means when he says in 1 Timothy 3.15, and that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. That the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. The word pillar is from the Greek word stulos, S-T-O-O-L-O-S. Stulos, which means a post. It also means a support. A post. And like I said in the first service, a post would refer to like a military post. And I'm using that illustration for the sake of the context in which we live to help you understand and appreciate it. You know, you're going driving into certain places, you're going to see a military post, you're going to see them with all those sacks, you know, stacked up like that. You're going to see them blazing very heavy weapons. And their job is basically to ensure that. People are not smuggling contrabands into the country and that terrorists are not coming in. I don't know if that's still happening in Nigeria or not, you know, if, if there's anybody watching. You know, you see what I'm saying? But that's their job, is to defend the territorial integrity. And what, 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 what constitutes territorial integrity is the fact that people are not coming in without permission. And that the wrong people are not coming in. And so when Paul says the church is the pillar, what Paul is simply saying is that, you see, the truth of God, did you see, is being watched and defended by the church. Did you see that? And when he says the church, you need to understand, the church always, essentially, has to do with people. Are you getting this now? People. The church is not just, oh, you know, uh, some place and all of that. The place becomes the church because it is implicated by our gathering inside it. Are you getting that now? So there is the church as a place, but the place is regarded as church by implication of the gathering of the people of God in that place. And therefore, once a place is set aside for the gathering of the saints, it becomes the church. This building is the church. Why is it a church? Because we gather here. And what that tells you automatically is the fact that if we cease to gather in this building, this building ceases to be the church. Do you understand now? 
You know, because you've got to be careful, always strike balance. Always stay in the middle of the road. Don't go to the extreme, to the, left, the right or to the left. Because there are people who now say, well, we are the church, the building is not the church, you know. And then so, what that has done in this generation is people now do not have reverence for the place. So people do anyhow. So after all, we have the church, not the building. So we can even cook on the altar. Not here, sir. Yeah, I remember, you know, I heard a story my spiritual father always tells when he just started his church, you know, and that there was a woman who would come with her kids. And she would bring stove. I kid you not. And she would make food at the back of the church. And he said, <laughs> he rebuked her and I said, never mind your life, try this again. This is what I'm saying. And one day when the power of God was flowing, that woman fell under the power. Serious deliverance happened. She was possessed. Because really, a person has to be possessed to be doing that. <laughs> because you've got to honor the place. That's why in this church, this altar looks beautiful. But you are not allowed to use it to take selfies. Nobody is allowed. Nobody. Say, I hear. I hear. You don't come here and carry your phone. A song came to my mind. I shall not sing it. <laughs> And this one come at this time. <laughs> I will not sing it. <laughs> and then you take it selfie at the altar. No, you cannot do that. Because the people of God that gather in here, did you see? I've already sanctified this place for the purpose of God. So it belongs to God. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? You know, when you have this understanding, it's going to trickle down to your own personal belongings. If you see yourself as God's possession, then anything you own is also God's own. Yes, My house is God's house. My, house My children are God's children. Are you getting this now? My wife belongs to God. Therefore, Satan, back off. <laughs> That's the idea. Are you getting it? My car is God's car. You see what I'm saying? You know, many years ago, we, you know, we've had this understanding for so long. You know, one of my older brothers one time, I remember uh, Jane had an issue, you know, my dad's house. And then we're trying to start it and it just won't start and everything. And he stood up and said, Satan, there are many unsaved people on this street. Go and jump on their Jane. Leave this one. Eh? I thought he was playing. He said, oh, yeah. Start it again. And we started it. Bam, the thing worked. Yay! I said, so this is the way. No problem. <laughs> so there are many unsafe people on this street. Go and pounce on their generator. Leave our own. Leave our own. Because anything that is mine is God's. It's a sense of stewardship. And that's the same thing that applies to the local church. So when Paul is calling the church the ground and the pillar of truth, he implies the people in it and then the collective gathering of those people. So we are not gathered unto fables. We are gathered unto the truth. We are not gathered unto fables. We are gathered unto the truth. In other words, what we're teaching, what we're practicing and living by has to be the truth. In other words, when people look to the local church, they should be able to see the local church as the bastion of truth. The pillar of truth. The post of truth. That is the place where truth is defended. 
and preserve no adulterations. And I'll tell you what that suggests is that a, a church should be run in such a way that people will really accuse the local church of being old school in the sense that we maintain the standard of Christ. We maintain the traditions, if you like. There are Christian traditions, godly traditions, inspired by the Holy Ghost. Things that must be passed down from one generation to another generation. Things that we must never tamper with nor change. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and I'll show you a few things here. And we're going to see Paul talking to Timothy. And um, this is very instructive here. Because you see, the word tradition actually means that which you pass down as something you live by, or something you transact with. And so notice in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul speaking to Timothy said, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, notice it says, the same, not another, the same. Did you see this? Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to do what? Teach others. The same. Somebody said the same. The same. same. Your neighbor didn't hear you. Talk like your voice is yours. Your neighbor said the same. Glory to God. And go to Titus chapter 1. And in verse 9, Paul is talking about the qualities to look out for in a leader, an overseer. So he says in verse 7, for a bishop, go to serve it. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-will, as not a stubborn goat. Not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to feel the looker. Feel the looker is a very old English way of saying materialist. You see, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober. Sober means to be sound-minded. That's why earlier said not giving to wine. Somebody who is in control of his senses. Who can make quality decisions. And that also means, to be sober-minded also means that he's not sentimental. He's not easily swayed by emotions. So notice it says, then just, holy, temperate, then in 9, it says, holding fast the faithful word, notice now, as he has been what? Taught. As he has been taught, actually connotes that he says it the way they told him. He doesn't take anything from it. He doesn't even add to it. Say it the same way they said it. What did Paul say? Say what Paul said. What did the apostles teach? Teach the same thing. The apostles didn't teach portals and realms. Don't teach that. There's no such thing. Don't start using words that begin to make people deviate from the truth of God. We don't find such things with the apostles. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? You say realms, ancient wells. Be careful. And I mean that. Those are dangerous things. There's no such things as ancient wells. The apostles had heard about many people that came before them. They quoted and preached from the writings of the prophets of old, but they never used such terminologies. Because when you start saying things that are not familiar with God's word, don't forget the word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. When you start saying what is not inspired by the Holy Ghost, other spirits will attend to you. Other spirits will attend to you. Because you see, spirits walk with words. 
So if the words you are saying were not inspired by the Holy Ghost, then another spirit will have to attend to you. Because the Holy Ghost will not attend to words that didn't come from him. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. It's the reason why Paul warns when he wrote to the Corinthians and said, he said, I'm afraid for you that someone has come to take you away from the simplicity that is in the gospel of Christ. And that was simplicity there is the word that means oneness. And I was probably saying, look, this thing is just one. There is no, don't be bringing all kinds of things. There is a simplicity which is the oneness, the sameness. The sameness. That's why next week we'll look at the power of repetition. Now, one of the things that makes the local church the ground and pillar of truth, we're going to look at that now, actually, because when it now says the ground, did you see? And the Greek word for ground there means that which is set, steadfast, immovable, unchangeable. We can move a whole lot of things around here. We can move the doors around. We can tamper with the ceilings and do different things with it. But we can't move the foundation. Because to move the foundation is to destroy everything. So what happens to foundation? It remains like that permanently. So there are things that must be left just as we were given. You know, Jude speaks about the same thing. Go to the book of Jude. Are you still alive? Yes, sir. <laughs> and are you here? Yes, sir. And Jude says in his opening, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Below, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He didn't say a faith. He said the faith. So it means that it's just one message delivered to the saints. It's got to be the same message everywhere. The, the word faith here is not used in the context of uh, I release faith for a car. For, no, no, no. He's used in the context of the message. The message of the gospel in certain places in the Bible is called the faith. So when Paul says, I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith. He's, he's not talking about I kept my faith for car, my faith for a house. There's nothing wrong with that. But he's saying I've kept the message. You know, that was I've been faithful to the message. I've been faithful to preach this message. I didn't change it. I did not dilute it. I did not substitute it. I preached the same thing. Jesus Christ is coming 60 years from now. I'm going to say the same. So far in my ministry, that's the same thing I can tell you. I haven't changed my message. It's the same thing. Because you've got to be consistent. Otherwise, you cannot be a pillar. Because a pillar is constant. If you go to a building that has a pillar, the pillar is the same. In fact, the moment the pillar changes, something will change in the structure of the building. And that change is either destruction, which means everything is coming down. I hear what I'm saying. Even if you want to rebuild, once you move pillar, everything is coming down. Pillar always stays in its place. I was telling the yesterday, so when you talk about, you know, people, jackpot, 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 and everything. I said, well, when there was persecution in the early church, the apostles didn't leave they stayed in Jerusalem. I'm here. I'm here. 
When I say here, not necessarily in this branch. <laughs> but I'm here, I'm telling you. I'm here. Now, apostles, you see that they move. So you see Peter in Samaria. Then he goes back home. In fact, from Samaria, he actually went from Samaria to Joppa. Then from Joppa to the house of Cornelius. Then from Cornelius' house, he came back to Jerusalem again. And then they will move, but they will come back to their base. They will move, they will come back. So some of us will move, 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 but home is home. Now, you are not an apostle. And one of the characteristics of living thing is movement. Move. As led. <laughs> Do you see this? Because pillars are stable. They've got to be there. And listen to me. When you come to the local church, it's not just about what you're getting. It's much more about what you are becoming. As a believer, since you got saved, have you paid attention to what you are becoming since you got born again? Because that is what God is more concerned about. What are you becoming? What are you becoming? You know, some are born again. And now that they are saved, they are no longer sinners. But rather than grow spiritually, they are becoming carnal. When a Christian is becoming carnal, what it simply means is, he is born again, but he is still struggling with sinner's problems. Struggling with sinner's problems. He's still thinking like the world. He's still talking like the world. He's still acting like the world. It makes decisions like the people of the world. Because you see, the thing about following Christ is the fact that it will change you. It must change you. You cannot be the same. Once you begin to follow Jesus, things have to change. Things have to change. And sometimes it's appalling to see people who preach a gospel that does not demand change. You can't be born again and be the same person and do things the same way, think the same way. The truth will challenge you, confront you, and the truth will not bow to you. It will not cower. The truth is not going to back down. It's going to stare in the face and stand on your head until you change. That's true Christianity. And that's the reason why, you see, in a local church that is being run properly by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, it is often the experience, and we've had that, that sometimes people leave the church because they are not willing to conform to the truth of God's word. And sometimes they are hoping the church will bend. We don't bend here. No. Not every pastor has spine. I do. Fortunately. A very strong one. Made of steel. The spine is strong. It's getting stronger. Because a pastor cannot pastor a church and be spineless. It's not possible. Because you're meeting with a lot of people who have flesh. And they want to bend it. Uh, you know, a lot of people are just trying to ask and negotiate with the local church. How much canality can I allow in my life and still be a Christian? Here we say none. Now, am I saying we're perfect? No, we're not. Are you? No, no, no. Just check your neighbor. Ask them, are you perfect? Are you? That's why we are called followers of Christ. To follow somebody means you are on a what? On a journey. And as you are walking with Christ, many things should be dropping off your life. Yes, sir. So it means if you are not changing, you are not following yet. You are still standing in your own position. 
That's why things haven't changed. Because following itself suggests that you're making some compromises for your Savior. So he's saying, come with me. And come with me means, as you're following me, that one you're holding in your right hand, drop it. Jesus is not the leader who just says, follow me, and he's not looking behind to check who he's following and how they're following. He's always checking. So he said, that thing you're holding, drop it. Now you're backbiting. Come on, stop that nonsense. Then all those websites you have stored where you're watching all kinds of crazy things that we shouldn't say in church. Drop it. I mean pornography. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. All those extra unnecessary touches, every petting in courtship, and you're not even married. He's looking at you and saying, drop it. Drop it. I'm going to stay around here. <laughs> saying, drop it. Let me tell anybody, in case they are not sure that it's them I'm talking about. I'm sure some of you think it's not you, so please, help me tell the person next to you who doesn't know it. They, they are the ones that say, tell them, say, drop it, drop it. <laughs> say it this way, they will get it better. Say, drop it like it's hot. Sin is too hot for you to carry. The Bible says, can a man carry coals in his bosom and not be burned? Drop it. All those lies you tell. You know those modified lies? Somebody's waiting for you for an appointment on the island. You are still in Alausa. And they say, where are you? You say, I'm close by. Ah. Even your angels are surprised. And angels that excel in strength. They say, even we, we are not close by. <laughs> I'm saying, and the Lord is looking back to tell you, drop it. Those exaggerations, amplified version, drop it. <laughs> drop it. Drop it. And you see, it is the confrontations of the truth that begins to propel change. That's what drives change. It is when truth confronts you that change becomes possible. And that is what must be found in a local church. Now, notice that this is not finger pointing or condemnation. No. It's love. So that you realize in John 13, when Jesus begins to wash the feet of his disciples, he's he's not trying to shame them to say, you dirty folks. No. No. It was their tradition in the Jewish custom. When people came into your house as visitors, you washed their feet because that's the dirtiest part of them. They didn't have cars like we have now. Even their means on transportation, camels and all that, you, your feet will still get dirty. Do you see what I'm saying? So the cleansing of their feet is even honor. So when God is cleaning you up, he's showing you love, but not just love, it's honor. Because he might as well have left you with your problem. And that's what you must expect in the local church. Church is not a place to expect customer care service. Church is a place where you are being built up. Where the truth is being taught. But however, the truth is spoken in love. Let's go look at that. Ephesians 4. We speak the truth in love. Verse 15. And then you see Paul saying, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. So it means if the truth is not taught, there will be no growth. So if he calls the church the pillar and the ground of truth, it means that truth must be taught in the church. And as the truth is being taught in the church, there will be growth. People will grow spiritually. And that's why he calls it the pillar. Stulos is the word. You know, he uses the same word in Galatians 2.9 and 
And when James, Cephas, and John, and Cephas means Peter, who seemed to be pillars, and the Greek word again is stulos, and notice he identifies these three men as pillars. Why does he call them pillars? Because they, when they, whenever they had issues in the church about doctrine, about you know matters, and they needed the truth, these were the people they called. It's an example in Acts chapter 15, when some came from Judea and insisted or were trying to compel the converts, that is the Gentile believers, you see, because you need to understand the progression of the early church, that even 10 years after Pentecost, Apostle Peter himself still did not believe that salvation was for the Gentiles. They, they still felt it was for the Jews only. Now, you wouldn't blame them much because all through the earthly ministry of Jesus, those three and a half years, Jesus did not commit himself to any Gentile. His commitment was towards the Jews. He came to seek and to save, you see, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said that in his earthly ministry. But when he rose from the dead, he made it clear to them. He said, now go and make disciples of all nations. He took the lead off. All nations there means you are now allowed to reach to the Gentiles. Ethnos, you see, all the Gentiles, all the peoples. In other words, the restriction is no longer there. It is now to the nations. But you see, human beings take time to adapt to change. So 10 years, because the house of Cornelius is exactly 10 years. Now, not just because it's not because it's 10 chapters away. All right, so don't run around thinking, wow, if Acts 10 is 10 years away, whoo! So chapter 11 is 11 years away. No, that's just a coincidence, as it were. Historically, what happened in the house of Cornelius was 10 years after Pentecost. Did you see this? And Peter is at that time, and he's the leader. He still feels the Gentiles are left out. And that's why when God was telling him in that vision, Arise, kill it. God was speaking to him proverbially, figuratively. And Peter says, no, no, no. I haven't eaten anything unclean. Did you see that? And unclean rather. And God said to him, don't call unclean that which I have cleaned. So what is the thing God said he has cleaned? The Gentiles. Now was God is saying, I have included them now. Now was God is saying, I know they were not included before. But that was for a time. And that time has come and gone. Now they are included. So Peter, get on with the program. And so Peter gets into the house of Cornelius. And in spite and regardless of everything God has dealt with Peter in the vision and everything. It is still a wonder to Peter when he heard those folks speaking in tongues. Peter is surprised. Like what? And the amazing thing is that they were filled with the spirit the same way. Peter and the rest of the Jews were filled on the day of Pentecost. Because you need to understand, on the day of Pentecost, it was only Jews. Jews that were in Jerusalem and those that came from other nations. They all came for the Feast of Pentecost. Just like Muslims go to Mecca for which of these, what is it? There are too many. There's either Malu, either Goat, either whatever. What is it? You know, one of those celebrations. So, you know, and they go to Mecca. You got, you got what I'm saying here? So, uh, and even in English language, you know, Mecca is used, you know, figuratively. So, so this is the Mecca of certain people, you know, so where they all converge like once a year. So they were all Jews on the day of Pentecost. So Peter is surprised that, wow, God, if I, even that statement itself, I'm sure if you speak like that in today's uh, world, they will say you are still have this superiority complex. Because Peter is saying, the Holy Ghost came on them, they say we came on us. So you're like, what do you, who are you? 
You are using yourself as the. So, what did you expect that you should come on them in lesser way than came on you? And that's because they are still trying to adapt and adjust to this new system. That now in Christ, whether you're Jew or Greek, we are all the same. We are children of God. We are sons of God. We are sons of God now. And that's what you got to understand. That is what God is trying to prove to them when he got the Gentiles filled with the Holy Ghost. The same way he got the Jews filled with the Holy Ghost. He's trying to say to them, you are all the same now. So stop walking around with airs around you, feeling like you're the boss. Just because you're a Jew. That doesn't count before God anymore. What counts before God now is faith in the finished works of Christ. The moment a person believes, he has right standing with God. Faith is an equalizer. The middle wall of partition has been removed by the finished works of Jesus Christ. Shout amen, somebody. That ought to make you shout for the rest of your life. That's the reason why even though we've never been to Jerusalem, we've never had to carry all those sacrifices and do all of those things, yet we have access to the Father by faith in Jesus Christ. And I am a son of God. You better thank God for it, otherwise you would have come to church today with the belly, billy goats behind you. Those of you who cannot afford the goats, you get pigeons, all kinds of noise. As the birds are chirping, the goats are... What do they do? Hey, Nigeria, they say the goats are mad at him. <laughs> what? <laughs> but glory to God, faith in Jesus is our access. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by the faith of him into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Glory. That's Romans 5, 1 and 2. I have access now. Sit down. Glory to God. So you see, therefore, when they had those issues in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas disagreed. Because these folks came and said, you cannot be born again except you are circumcised. And so they said, let's take the case to Jerusalem. And when there was a lot of disputing, Peter rose up in Acts 15 and Peter clarified the issue for them. Why? Because Peter is a pillar. Just as John said, sorry, as Paul said in Galatians 2.9, Peter is really a pillar. That is, somebody who can uphold the truth. Now, there's a dispute, but when you get to him, he can tell you what is the right thing. And that's why you notice what made these folks to be called, you know, there are different classes of apostles, about three classes of apostles. The first is what you call the apostles of the Lamb. You see it in the book of Revelation. And it refers to the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, of course, you know, one is missing. He lost his place. His name is Judas Iscariot. And replaced by Matthias. And uh, what made them so is found in Acts chapter 1. When they were going to replace Judas, they said it has to be somebody who had been going in and out with them from the time of the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan till when he was risen, I mean, taken up from before their eyes. Just previous verses, we, uh, before that, in Acts chapter 1, you see that. While they were gazing into the sky, Jesus was received up. You see, and they saw two angels standing there saying to them, you know, you men of Galilee, why gaze you up into the sky? He said, this same Jesus, whom you see taken up before your eyes, in the same manner shall likewise come down again. You see that. And so, he said, whoever will replace Judas must qualify, must be qualified by that. 
Now the reason is because they were eyewitnesses to his ministry, eyewitnesses to his death. They were eyewitnesses to his burial, and they were eyewitnesses to his resurrection from the dead. He spent 40 days with them after he was raised from the dead. They are called apostles of the Lamb. Their names are written in the city of God of the foundations. You see what I'm saying now? These men, these men, these are inclusive. James, John. Now, the James that is an apostle of the Lamb is not the Lord's brother. It's James, the son of Zebedee. And that's very interesting because James, the Lord's brother, is not, the, he's not an apostle of the Lamb. He is a foundational apostle. The foundational apostles are the ones Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 3 when he says we're built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Did you see? These are men to whom God committed the responsibility of giving to us the Christian doctrine called the epistles. Nobody today is part of them. Anything you like, call yourself. <laughs> you are not a foundational apostle. Nowhere. Their foundation is late. Yes, are you seeing this now? Yes, These are classes of apostles. Apostleship in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, third category is the apostles in the fivefold ministry, which remains open ended till Jesus comes. Because he keeps calling more people. Particularly, the office of the apostle is an office where people grow into it. Hardly will anybody start as an apostle. Over what? And one of the reasons why you cannot start as an apostle is because apostleship develops as you labor. Because the proof of apostleship are the men you have raised. So how can you begin when you have not raised men and you are called apostle? How? Apostle Paul did start as an apostle. The apostles of the Lamb did not start as apostles. They grew into it. How can I call you today? He leads to Christ and I say, Charles, you are an apostle. <laughs> now that may be his calling, but he will have to what? Grow into it. As I see, Paul started in Acts 13, 1. He was listed amongst the, uh, the teachers and the prophets in the church of Antioch. And it had been like that for a few years. And then on that day in Acts 13, the Bible says, while the minister to the Holy Ghost and fasted, to the Lord rather than fasted, the Holy Ghost said, he said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, unto the work where to have called them. What work? He had called them before that day, but it was on that day that he now separated them into it. Are you getting that now? Yes, sir. And it is possible for a person to have apostleship in his calling in Christ and never get to it. Because you need to understand, the way God advances us in his plan is on the basis of faithfulness. I'll say it again. The way God advances us into his plan for our lives is on the basis of faithfulness. I heard that Egan say over the years, there are people, one of the appearances of the Lord Jesus he had, and he spoke of how the Lord Jesus told him one day, he said, there are people who live and die and never scratch the surface of the first face of their calling. And they spend their entire lives and live and die. They never even get into the first face of their calling in God. You've got to live your life faithfully. And that's again to let you know, like I said, God is concerned about what you are becoming. Because you see, it's as you are faithful to walk with him, that you become what he wants you to become. Because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works with God before day, Ephesians 2.10, that we should walk in them. So it means the path is already made. But it is as we faithfully walk with him that we get to different points of that path. On that path. Oh, I say that again. 
it is as we faithfully walk with him, the path has been made. But as we faithfully walk with the Lord, we find ourselves at different points on that path that he has created for us. So for some on that path, there is apostleship. But you got to only, you will get there only by faithfulness. So keep on walking with the Lord. Keep on walking with the Lord. Keep on walking with the Lord. You see, that's why God doesn't reward titles. God rewards faithfulness. Anybody can call himself whatever he likes. But God knows who you are. And you, if you call yourself by what God didn't make you, you're deceiving yourself. People may call you by those names and, and give you all those titles, but before the Lord, he's not going to reward you for it. God, God will only reward you for work done in his will. Not just for work done. Work done in his will. So you can do the work, but the question is, was he the one who sent you? Did he ordain you to do it? Are you getting this now? So for example, when the Lord told us last morning, one of our prayer meetings here, the stewards prayer, all night prayer meeting, and the Lord said, a thousand faith factories. That's a thousand local churches for us to plant. I believe that is, that is almost going to take us until Jesus comes. Depending on when he comes, though. And if we finish that before he comes, then I'm sure he will give us the next instruction. But for now, we run with that. A thousand faith factories all over the world. That means we're raising pastors. We're raising, we're raising believers who are strong, particularly ambidextrous believers. Pastors who will be lay pastors. People who will, people who will pastor and at the same time still do their secular job and balance everything well and do both excellently. Discipling people all over the world. We're going to do that. So I'd like you to know that is not an ambition. So we didn't just wake up one day and say we're going to have a thousand churches. Oh no. The Lord said so. From that scripture, Deuteronomy 1.11. He said the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more than you are. Glory to God. Someone say, Dad, how is that going to be possible? That's exactly why it is from God. He's the one that will make it happen. And that's why some of you need to get ready. God is going to make you so wealthy. And God is going to God is going to nurture and nourish your spirit. So you're wealthy materially and you're robust spiritually as well. Because beautiful faith factories is going to cost a lot of money everywhere. Because faith factories is, is an excellent place. Ah, it's not just any Yamayama building. This one is just a sample. Are you hear what I'm saying now? Yeah. And I, we've said we're going to find out how much it's going to cost us to to have one faith factory. So that we can begin to now say, you know what? I'm sowing five. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sowing five. Now that's the material part of it. The spiritual part of it is the, is the real labor. Yes, sir. That we need to work to make sure we are raising men who are strong. Women who are strong. Women who become and men who become pillars. Because you see, when ministry spreads, just like we saw in Acts of Apostles, that's where the talent comes. Because now, these folks that came from Judea, they were bringing something strange. But thank God there were pillars to check it. I said, no! That is not the way it is. Dad didn't teach us this one. You know, I told you, God usually in his plan gives long life to teachers, especially apostolic teachers. So that they live long enough 
to be able to correct the excesses that people are trying to bring into their teachings. That's why Peter had to live long. If Peter was already dead, ah, because when they came to Jerusalem, some were already supporting that nonsense. So when Peter saw that, ah, what's all this? What is what is he just stood up and said, okay, 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 stop that. All of you were here when God chose that by my mouth, the Gentiles, and he began to refer to the house of Cornelius. And he said, and he gave them the spirit like he gave us. And he purified their hearts by faith. He said, so what is all this? The, I mean, Peter was speaking to that city. He said, so why tempting me, God, to put the burden on these people that neither we nor our fathers were. See, Peter is speaking, he's, he's sending them home. You know the way they say it. You know, he's sending them home to their fathers. He said, that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear this boy. He says, so what is all these things you guys are trying to do? Peter is speaking boldly. He's rebuking them. He says, so stop all these things. And Peter was not the only one who spoke. When Peter finished speaking, James stood up. Go to, go to Acts 15. I'll show you there. And so Peter says in verse 8, and God, we know where their hearts bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Verse 10, now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. So Peter is getting to settle with this truth. Even as they. Verse 12, then all the multitude kept silent. The truth has been spoken. And gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Verse 13, and after that, after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this I agree the words of the prophets as it is written. And I love that James is now bringing scripture. Did you see this? And then he says, uh, and, to, and to disagree, uh, the prophets as is written, after this I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David which is falling down and I will build again the reels thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, say the Lord who doeth all these things. And that is what is called apostolic ministry. He's telling them what the word says. Did you see that now? Then in verse 18 he said, Known unto God are all his works from the very beginning of the world. 19. Wherefore my sentence is this, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. And you know, you will say, that is still some Moses. <laughs> not the fornication part. Tell your neighbor, not the fornication part. That's not Moses, that's God. But when he's saying from things strangulated, from blood, and all those things, Paul later will come and write and tell us, let no man judge you in meat. But James, you know, that's how you must understand. It's a progression. They are growing. At this point, James is still, you know, one leg in law. albeit a very small part. But it's still law. They tell them to abstain from food, you know, pollution of idols. When Paul will write about idols to the Corinthians, say there are no idols. There are no gods anywhere. Ah, Paul is radical. <laughs> Paul said, there are not, there is nothing like that. It's Oga, shop. So Paul now says, if you will not eat things sacrificed to idols, let it not be because of any love. Let it be because of the love you have for your fellow brother. That if there is still a brother who is still affected by it, for his sake, don't eat it. Because you won't die if you don't eat it. He said, why should your eating cause a person Christ died for to offend? So see the difference between why Paul says not to eat the food sacrificed to idols and why James says not to eat it. James is still speaking from the perspective of Moses. 
Do you see what I'm saying now? But Paul is speaking from the perspective of the redemptive work of Christ. What's the difference between James and Paul? It's time and growth. That's to show you also that even ministers grow. So you don't see this and say, Ah, Jemisi! <laughs> and over the years, I thought about how that this statement James made here traumatized Apostle Peter a little bit. Because this is the reason why when Paul is now going to write in Galatians, Paul says that when Peter saw those that came from James, he withdrew from eating with the Gentiles. James has not even showed up. The people that came from James. Now Peter says, fear James. <laughs> and I tell you one thing about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to get free from the fear of men. And stay with what the word of God says. So what you see, these men are pillars. But you see, what is James doing? What is Peter doing? They are defending the truth. That is their job. That is why Paul calls them pillars in Galatians 2.9. And he uses the same word, stulos. Can you see this? That same word, stulos, you find it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. And you also find it in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. Revelations chapter 3. Glory to Jesus and verse 12 and Revelation 10 1. And he says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head. And his face was, was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars, stools of fire. In chapter 3 and verse 12, it is the Lord Jesus speaking. And the Lord Jesus said in verse 12 of Revelation 3, Him that overcometh will I make a what? A pillar, did you see, in the temple of my God. Every time you see the, the statement, he that overcometh in Revelations, is very simple. He means he that believeth. All right? He that believeth. John, the revelator, to whom the book of Revelation, who wrote the book of Revelation? All right? When you read him uh, speaking about it, he said, who is he that believeth? He said, he that believeth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So every time you see that phrase, he that overcometh, he that overcometh, he's talking about he that believeth. Who is that he that believeth? The believer in Christ Jesus. You. So he's not talking about the fact that there is something you still need to fight and overcome. No. Once you put your faith in Jesus, that's why he says, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh even our faith. President 5.4. And then you notice, he goes on right there in the same breath. Somebody say, I receive understanding. I receive understanding. Of the word of God. So he says in verse 4, President 5. He said, for whatsoever, now that whatsoever is just is the same thing in the Greek as whosoever. He's not really talking about things, he's talking about people. So, whatsoever, which is whosoever, is born of God, overcometh the world, and this is a victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Then look at verse 5. He said, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that what? Believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So everywhere you see that phrase in Revelation particularly, and it says, he that overcometh, as we saw in Revelation 3, 12 now, he that overcometh is referring to he that believeth. He that believeth. That's me. That's me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But notice what Jesus says. He said, he that believeth. He said, I will make him to be what? A pillar. Did you see that? Because you've got to grow into that. You've got to grow into that. And again, one of the qualities of a pillar is that it is a post. A post really is stationary. He knows his place and he stays in his place. And he becomes solid. The Lord Jesus said that. 
Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Somebody say, I'm growing. I'm growing. Oh, say it again. Say, I'm growing. I'm growing. I'm growing. I know in Ephesians 4, we saw that one of the things growth brings is stability. Growth brings stability. And that's why the Lord Jesus said, I will make him a stulos, a pillar. Did you see that? In my temple. Look at that again. What is his temple? His house. His family. So God wants us to grow, to become stable in his house. Pillars of truth. Especially in the world we live in, where we live in a generation that talks about my truth, your truth. And what does that kind of generation need? They need the truth. And they must hear the truth from men and women who have become pillars of the truth. And a person who has become the pillar of truth, of the truth, is a person who will not conform to this world. But who will allow the word of God to renew his mind. And he will stand for the word of God. Stand with the truth of God's word. And what the word says is true forever. No matter the changing times we live in. The word of God remains the word of God. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. It's the same. It's the same. He remains the same. And what he said to one generation, he said to another generation. I remember last year when we were still uh, at Baltimore, the Lord said to me one day, and he said to me, he said, I hope this generation knows I have wiped out an entire generation before I can do it again. Yeah. Actually, Egypt, the Israelites that came out of Egypt, the entire generation perished in the wilderness. And you will notice was because Bible says they kept provoking the wrath of God. You'll be amazed to know what it means to provoke the wrath of God. It's not that you, you vex God. God gets angry to the point of God and says, ah, if I can't, but all of you die. No. To provoke the wrath of God is the fact that you keep pushing until God lets you have your way. You know, because it's the message of God that stands in your way of stubbornness to save you from yourself. But you can push God out of your way. You see, if God contends with you, make sure God wins. Because if you win a contention against God, you will lose in life. And eventually lose your life. Because if you read Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, you will understand what it means when it says the wrath of God. When he said, I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Because you probably feel God was so angry, God said, you will never enter my rest. No. Because at the end of the chapter 3, he said, why did they not enter in? He didn't say because God was so angry, God caused them. No, he said because of their own unbelief. So the wrath of God is that he allowed them to have what they insisted on. Because they kept speaking against what God promised. Over and over again. Over for 40 years. You can't say God was not patient. For 40 years. And the patience of God there is not that. After 40 years, God said, I can't take it anymore. No. That's one thing you never hear from God. I can't take it. Lie, lie. It is not God that will not be able to take it anymore. It is you that will not be able to take it anymore. Is the fact that what they were saying and doing for 40 years was right. And the harvest of what they had sown came over their lives. Because you will have what you reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. God is not mocked. Galatians 6, 7. Whatsoever a man soweth, he shall reap. Not even God can stop your harvest. Whether it's good or bad. Doesn't matter. Whether good or bad, God cannot stop your harvest. What God will try to do is to stop you from sowing that wrong seed. So, 40 years, God is saying, stop it. Stop talking like that. Stop thinking like that. Every miracle Moses did, 
they will still complain. And God is trying to show them mercy. Don't do this. Because in Galatians 6, it says, let us not be weary of well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. What does that mean? If you are sowing bad seed, faint not. <laughs> but if it's good seed, don't faint. That is, don't get tired. But if it's bad seed, and that's the good news about it. If your life has been going on the wrong path, the wrong trajectory, make a change. In the mercy of God, God will stop the harvest from coming. But God cannot stop a harvest for a seed you are still sowing. It's not going to stop it. And that's the power of repentance. You can't keep doing the wrong thing and you're praying to God to have mercy on you so that you don't reap the harvest of the wrong thing you still insist on doing. That one, there is no, no Jupiter that can stop it. It will come. So you stop the wrong thing you're doing. If you're owing so much money, stop borrowing. Otherwise, the power and the blessing of God cannot rescue you. You can't keep borrowing and still keep confessing. Uh, uh, all of our bills and all of our debts are being reduced and eliminated. And you're increasing it. <laughs> you're saying my debt is being reduced and you go tomorrow again to borrow another money. Can't you see your action is betraying your confession? That is what it now means when God now says, I swore in my wrath. That you will, you will not, you will not come out of this. Basically, you will <laughs> Are you getting it now? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, some of you, you see, you know, sometimes go, I see people, I've been there, you know, when I was an undergraduate, ah, boy, my first year in school, one time I was just, I would say, Lord, I'm going to borrow this money and I release my faith for you to help me pay. <laughs> when I tried it two, three times, it didn't work. I said, why is God betraying me like this? Until one day I was listening to Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Copeland said, borrowing is against the covenant. So you can't make God do by faith what is against his word. He's not going to do it. I say, yeah. And then the Holy Ghost said to me, instead of you releasing faith for God to provide the money to pay the debt, why don't you release faith for the money itself? And I learned that my problem was impatience. Yeah. Because the reason why you borrow money and you are hoping for God to supply you the money to pay back is that you can't wait for the supply to come from God. So the time you're supposed to be waiting for God to bring the supply, just quickly go to somebody to give you the money first. Hoping that the supply of God will now meet up to pay back the debt. But it will never even come. Not to talk of meeting up. Because your action has already told God, there's no need. I will take care of myself. <laughs> Some of you have just been delivered. It's patient. Patient. Let me rub your neighbor's shoulder. Say, neighbor, neighbor. I, I am very concerned. Uh, tell them whatever about, but about your ignorance. So, <laughs> you see this now. So, we notice here, therefore, the word pillar. So, the second word is the word ground, and we look at the word is edroyoma, edroyoma, or hydroyoma, I beg your pardon. Hydroyoma means support or basis. All right, this is another word for foundation. It's from a root word, idraios, which means sedentary, to sit, to be immovable, to be settled, and to be steadfast. It means to, to sit sedentary, and by implication, to be immovable, to be settled, and to be steadfast. And in the first service, I bless the people in the first service, I bless you in the second service as well. 
don't live a sedentary life. It causes sickness in the later years of people's lives. You see that? It causes sickness. Move your body. A lot of you are professionals. You work in, you know, corporations. Some of you even work from home now. It's why those who work from home. But that one is even worse. Because now you work from home, you don't even sit on chair. You lie down on the bed. And you can be on one spot the whole day. Get some of these smart watches. I can tell you it's time to stand up. Sometimes I feel like slapping my, my smart watch. Because the thing just beeps and it vibrates. And it, so I have to look at it. And then I look at it. I even think I'm expecting a good notification. And then it says it's time to stand up. I feel like if I slap your head. So now you could tell me when to stand up. <laughs> and then I remind myself it's for your own good. <laughs> and then you have the rings you have to close in the day. Which will tell you whether you really fulfill the whatever. The number of steps you should take daily, according to WHO, is 10,000 steps. So you're like, what? When is it as if a year is chasing me? Am I working on 10,000 steps? <laughs> but I'll break it down for you. One hour of praying in the tongues and pacing the floor back and forth will give you over 5,000 steps. And I would believe that some of you need to be more than that because I have longer legs. Yeah. So I'm praying in tongues, and just pacing back and forth. I checked it. I've done it many times. It's over 5,000 steps. So like I said, some of you that are vertically disadvantaged. <laughs> I think that's a very polite way to say you are short. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you know, sometimes people really know what you said anyway. <laughs> You know, and you, you don't have as you know long legs like I do. You probably will take a, a whole lot more steps than that. <laughs> oh my God! My average ministration, all right, is about seven thousand steps. I'm sure if I check my my step counter now, because now I'm preaching second service today. But I'm sure by the end of two second service, I would have done 10,000 steps there. It, it doesn't take that long. That's what many of you don't know. If I try to do your phone conversations, pace on the floor. Don't sit down. If you have a phone conversation, get up on your feet and put the phone there and just keep pacing the floor as you're talking. So, you see, you need to learn how to put things in your life that will help you, you know, stay alive, stay healthy. Because truly, I look at myself, what time do I have to not be walking up and down because I want to count 10,000? I say, sir, where are you going? I say, I'm counting my steps, you <laughs> After all, the steps of the righteous are under. <laughs> you know, because the more steps you take, your movement, one of the things that affects is the circulation of blood in your system. Then more importantly, your heart. The best exercise for the human heart is brisk walk. Well, one of the best, though. But there are doctors there, some of them, the way Dr. Tesmoon is looking at them. It's like saying, Dad, leave it, it's our area. <laughs> but I, I read a lot so I know quite a lot of things about this stuff you see what I'm saying so brisk walk yeah it helps the heart a whole lot alright some of you are in your early 30s some of you late 20s some of you mid 30s mid late 30s getting into 40s alright you got to be careful take those things serious now your first 17 years they say your body takes care of you when you get into your 20s late 20s 30s you now must sorry your 30s you now must start taking care of your body by what you eat, your 
lifestyle, your exercises, you know, some of you don't exercise at all. You know, my son was looking at me a few days ago and he said, Daddy, say, ah, you have uh, packs. And I like the fact that he didn't say more than that. Because some is not two packs, three packs, six packs. It's amusement park. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> is it that you have packs? I say, hey, if you minded with that, you know. But my excuse over the years have always been that ah, even the way I am, I cast out there. By the time I gym to add it, I don't want to keep them. <laughs> oh, God. This is what I'm saying. But don't be sedentary. Your bones have to move. You know the reason why some old people are stiff? Sedentary lifestyle. Because if you're not moving your body parts, as you're getting older, it's become more difficult to move it. So wake up now. Because every time we confess, I live long, I live strong, with nothing wrong. So there is a responsibility. So maybe one of these days we'll open uh, for all these women, uh, ladies, daughter of destiny meetings to have a session to do some aerobics outside. Of <laughs> On the green turf, I'll be good. They'll say, everybody, come on, my flow is flowing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the who know who are the real men in this church. <laughs> because brethren, there are some brethren, five minutes like this. Ah. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> Did you see this? So, but notice sedentary to sit means immovable. And that is what he calls the church, the ground, the immovable support of truth. Unchanging, unchanging. And I'll tell you what that means is 15 years from now, 30 years from now, there are certain things that you will hear us say today that it will still be the same thing. 50 years from now, it must be the same thing. Now we don't begin to say, oh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know. And I'll tell you in particular about some areas we call gray areas. Values of family. We don't bend about that. I do not support for husband and wife to live apart in the name of career. No. Not here, sir. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you that because those are some of the areas where we really need the pillar of truth. Because in this generation, now people are always trying to bend all these things. You got to understand the way the world is. Oh, well, have you seen the way the world is? Stop telling me the way the world has become. And anytime you say that, we will show you what the world says. And you stay with what the world says. And I'll tell you, it's not just for the sake of immorality. That you shouldn't live apart as a couple. The point is, there are people who may not even get into any infidelity with distance. May not. I'm not saying shall not. But one thing is, distance will make you both grow apart. And you may never be able to recover it again. And how do you even know how long it will take you in your own case to grow back together? How do you know? 
How do you know? And I'll say to people, you see, if it's a temporary arrangement in transition, it's a different thing. And even if it's in transition, there is a commitment required. A commitment to travel to see each other. Not like you go and sit down somewhere. Two years, you have not seen yourselves at all. You are just on phone. And then on chats. My babe. Now to say my boo boo. The devil is booing the two of you. <laughs> they were saying boo. Because <laughs> it takes a whole lot. It takes a whole lot. A lot of commitment. But you know, you look in the body of Christ today, it has become like a norm. Husband is somewhere, wife is somewhere else. And it's a permanent arrangement. And, you know, we, all, we understand we're using technology. Technology cannot reach to your emotions. Are you seeing this? We take a stand on that. We take a stand on your parenting. You don't dump your kids because you're chasing money. That's stupid. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Read my lips. Stupid is the word. Because a preserved childhood is better than a repaired adulthood. Don't let the lives of your children get damaged just because you are careless. To leave your child for one month is too much. For the talk of months and years. You don't even know what has been happening to them. They can't even tell you what they did to them. And then you grow up, you see a child growing up, and then you are wondering, where did this come from? It's your carelessness. You are not even there. A child needs to be defended and protected by their parents until they can defend themselves. And that is most times in adolescence. So be there. And don't tell me you are making sacrifices. It's your duty you are doing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You say, I'm making sacrifices. What do you mean? What do you call sacrifice? Did you die? <laughs> because you have to stay up late to feed your baby. You say you are making sacrifice. Who would have fed them? Tell it up, <laughs> <laughs> and that is what we call the grand and pillar of truth because these things are not popular anymore uh, you've got to say it the way it is yes sir yes, Charlie, to this generation of people who are newlyweds about to get married new parents God you understand it people are jackpine jackpine release faith that God will give you jackpine that you and your spouse will go together worst case scenario is oh you, you're going first this person will come a few months after, blah, 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 blah. And if six months is coming one year, start traveling. Come home. Spend a few weeks. And do all kinds of things you can do with each other. <laughs> <laughs> you do Pro Max. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I'll tell you, you know, one of our dear sons here and his wife, I mean, in the last less than two years, they've been married. No, it's not over two years at all. It's also over a year they've been married. He's traveled back and forth, back and forth. Last time he was around for weeks. Now, I'm, I can tell you this. He is doing that because there is a truth in this house that is registered in his spirit. Because you must understand, if that superstructure is not there, it's easy to just let things go. 
but it is something to like the truth confronts you you cannot just sit down somewhere so you make that commitment it costs a whole lot of money to buy tickets to come but your wife is worth more than that the marriage is worth more than that <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> you know, mom will tell you the, the, the highest number of days I've traveled out of the house and traveled out of Nigeria is 10 days. And those 10 days, boy, to me, it looked like years. I miss home, man. I want to be back home. I'm always there. I saw my children when they started crawling. I just took their first steps. I've been there every step of their lives. Same with mom. We make that commitment. Yeah. You've got to be there. You have to be there. Because the years will go quickly. Your child is crying now. Better enjoy it. Because there's a time they won't cry again. Though. But I, where? 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 Don't say, you're disturbing. Ah, disturbing. Dance to it. It's music. Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, is it crazy? Crazy, 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 crazy. <laughs> because the days are going to pass. Every stage of your lives, be in the moment with them, capture it. You know, take videos and everything. You know, the same things, just enjoy them. Because I've seen a lot of people who post pictures of their kids when they're 21, 22, and they're like, ah, oh, oh, the days have gone so fast. Oh, I remember those. And when I see those, I say, I don't want to be talking like this. When I'm at this people's stage, so I enjoy everything well. So when they're in their twenties, they are leaving home. You know those fathers that cry on the wedding day of their daughter. <laughs> He's regretting the day the girl wanted to play with his meat. He didn't let her play. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to touch the meat. Come on, always serious. Don't be serious with your children too much. When my daughter wants to touch my meat, now touch it, eat it. She now said, Daddy, let me. Climb on your back. Climb. <laughs> because 20 years from now, even if you want to climb, even if I wanted to climb, I may not be able to allow you to climb. <laughs> so that I can still preach. <laughs> By that time, if your husband's back, you'll be climbing. Oh my God. So those are truths the church has to hold on to against modernization. Yes, so many things are modern in our days. And Christianity is being weakened. Because there are not enough pillars in the church anymore. But glory to God, God is raising stronger believers here. That's our vision. Raising stronger believers. Because you've got to be strong to be a bastion of the truth. To be a pillar of the truth. Strong in the Lord. Somebody say, I'm strong in the Lord. I'm strong in the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Can you take some more this morning? And so we see other translations of 1 Timothy 3.15 amplified and you can get to read that by yourself. Glory to Jesus. And so you see the saints are situated and planted in the local church. For growth, the saints are situated and planted in the local church for growth. You see how the epistles were written to the churches and to leaders of churches. Epistles were not sent to people's homes. Epistles were sent to churches and then people gathered in those churches and their pieces were read and taught to them. So it means in those days, if you were not a part of a local church, you would never hear those truths. He said, but today we have technology. We can always read our Bibles. Oh, yes. 
But let me tell you, the difference is the fact that if you are not planted in the local church, you will have knowledge and information. But you are not the follower of Christ. So you are not being fed. You are not growing. It is in the context of the local church that the teaching and the knowledge of God's word becomes food to you. I'll say that again. It is in the context of the local church that the teaching of the word of God, the knowledge of the word of God becomes food in the context of a local church. Why? Because it is the shepherds that have been commanded and anointed to feed the flock of God. There is no such thing as self-feeding in the body of Christ. There's no such thing. Read your Bible. There is no such thing as self-feeding for a sheep. In a similar way, there is no self-guidance. There is no such thing as a mature sheep that can travel from Kano to Lagos by itself. Have you seen a cow that leaves Kano to say, I'm on my way to Lagos? You need a shepherd, sir. Otherwise, you will get slaughtered on your way by cattle rustlers. No mature sheep knows the way from, from, from Kaduna to Lagos. A shepherd has to guide them. You need a confirmation in the local church. Just like you need the feeding in the local church. So say, what about study to show yourself approved? That's Bible illiteracy. Because the word study in 2 Timothy 2.15 is not study as in the way you read in English. Study there is to be diligent. Spudazo. Did you see this? And he's even giving that instruction to a bishop. So the saints are to feed on what they are being fed. I'll say it again. The saints are to feed on what they are being fed. You see what I'm saying? The saints are to feed on what they are being fed. So because the, the flock, <clears throat> glory to Jesus, the flock of God recognizes scripture is the local church. You see instruction in Acts 20, 28. Take it to yourselves. And to all the flock of God, you see, over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. What should you do with them? Feed them. To feed his church, which he purchased with his own blood. And you see that? In the next verse, verse 29, he uses the word flock again. Go to verse 29, Acts 20. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Uses the word flock again. First Peter 5, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. You see Apostle Peter saying, to the elders, which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2, feed the flock of God. He didn't say, you flock, feed yourself. No, you are to be fed. Does that mean you cannot read your Bible by yourself? Read it by yourself. But the knowledge of the word becomes food in the context of the local church. In the context of the local church. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not fulfill the local, but of a what? A ready mind. Verse 4, next verse. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the what again? The flock. If you, if you understand some English, flock means a herd of sheep. So it means the sheep are to be gathered in the flock. In the sheepfold. That's where God wants to find you. Not self-feeding. Apologies, I, cannot, I don't have any English word to say. It's not Christianly. So I'm going to self-feed myself. I don't need the church. I don't need the pastor. I can just open my Bible and read. Wherever I open to, I just read it. And I just, you know, just listen to any preacher on TBN. 
a TBN Christian or YouTube these days? Well, you're going to get knowledge, but you're not getting faith. So you will know a whole lot in your head, but you have no use to the kingdom. Because you see, we are not just called to be scholars. We are not even called at all to be scholars. We are called to be followers of Christ. In following Christ, we study him. Not the other way around. Not that you study Christ without following Christ. You have a lifeless religion. But you follow Christ. And then he says, come take my yoke upon me. Upon you. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He said, come learn of me. So it's as you follow him, you now learn of him. Then his words become life to you. It's the reason why the Great Commission is not being done at the rate it should be done. Because many have been saved, but they are not being planted in local churches. So they are not being mobilized to be in the army. Armies are regimented. I was like, if you still find it, you know, uncomfortable to be told what to do, you are not ready to be a Christian. I'll say it again. If you find it absurd that you'll be told what to do, you are not ready to be a Christian, you are not ready to follow Jesus. Because if you're a soldier, you don't do what you like. You do what you are told. They order you, sir. You don't come to church and say, I want to serve in the ushering department. No, you don't. Who are you to tell us where you will serve? It's the Lord who will tell us. And then we will tell you. Serving the sanctuary keepers. Then when your time there is done, we'll tell you where next you will serve. You come to church with a ready heart. A servant comes saying, wherever you need me to walk, I'm here. Availability is what you bring. Not choice of where to serve. That's why the whole of November, midweek services, some of you will miss midweek services. Make up your mind. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus or a Sunday? Come on. I'm going to be teaching a title, Spiritual Home Training, Series 3. Series 1 was many years ago. Series 2 was like three years ago. So this is Series 3. And this time, the Series 3, the emphasis is honor to whom it is due. And I've written a book titled Honor to Whom It Is Due. It will be out in two weeks' time. You get your copy. It's 3,000 naira. I'm marketing it. Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so get a copy. Because I'm going to be teaching directly from that book all through the month of November, all Wednesdays. This book will change your life. You need to learn honor properly, sir. Who to honor, how to honor, what God calls honor. You should know it. Yeah. Somebody hear what I'm saying now? Because it's that lack of honor that makes some Christians just feel like they can't tell me what to do. Well, if they cannot tell you what to do, you are not ready to be a Christian. You are not ready to grow. You must be able to receive instructions and live by those instructions. That is what is called Christianity. We live in a world everybody wants to do what they like. People like to just, you know, you can't come on my wall and tell me this. You can't this. It's my life. It's my this. It's my that. You know, and you see people think they are smart, but they are becoming more foolish. Because it is in wisdom that you actually listen and be led. It is foolishness when you now say, I know. See, every man who has wasted his life, he kept saying, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I know what I'm doing, he said. Ah. His wife said, hey, ah, but dear, dear, maybe we should save some money. Said, I know what I am doing. And he's carrying his money to give to frosters. It's when they're taking all his money and I say, oh, I don't know what I am doing. <laughs> Because we are called sheep. The nature of sheep is that sheep is led. That's why I say, as many as are led by the Spirit, not as many as do what they like. 
Yeah, you look at your life since you've been doing what you like. It is the things you don't like that are happening in your life. I'm telling you. Because freedom in Christ is that you have restrictions. Not having restrictions is the real bondage. Have you seen mad people before? There's no restriction. No. Do you like that kind of freedom? God forbid about it. <laughs> That's how you see the man who is sane. See the way all of you are dressed up in your right mind. You know it's a restriction that made you dress like this. If you want to be free now, ah, but you know that kind of freedom in your life. <laughs> the real liberty is the liberty of restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's the liberty of restrictions. And it's not that like God wants to control your life and make it, you know, kill your joy and everything like that. That's why the Bible says that his commandments are not grievous. First John 5. They are not grievous at all. Anything God tells us to do or tells us not to do, by the time we stay with them, you realize that that is what actually now brings liberty. The liberty from regrets. <laughs> Woo! Liberty from pain. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Because most women say, I want to do what I like. Have you noticed? They can choose those things they want to do, but they cannot choose the consequences. Yes, yes, and it is when the consequences show up that you realize that you are actually not free. <laughs> but if you live by restrictions, it will bet a freedom. A freedom from wrong consequences in your life. Whoa. And you say, don't come in for an occasion and you sleep and you know, you know, you did what you like. But when the pregnancy show, and your, your stomach is all over the place. You're not rolling like drum. You know what now? You don't like it because you're not yet married and you're like, what's up? But now I know you cannot do anything about it except you want to go and abort. And God now cash you. As you try to abort that baby, that baby says, I'm not going. <laughs> you abort, you bled, bled, bled. And then three months after, your stomach is still going big. Child, is the as you ate. Until as you, as you are saying, it's the like this, the child just kick. You say, wait till baby. <laughs> and six months after, the pregnancy has come to stay. Yeah. Stulos. Ah. <laughs> 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 so, you <laughs> because you see, anytime you refuse to come under righteous authority, you will be controlled by something lesser in life. Anytime. Anytime you refuse to be led and to submit to righteous authority, the alternative is you'll be controlled by something lesser in life. The commandments of God are not grievous, beloved. It's not to belittle you. You are not being belittled. Because I say a lot of people, they, they are too big. They can't go to solid local churches where the pastor is strong. And the reason is because they don't want to be told what to do. At my age, how can a pastor be telling me this, this, this? Well, that's what it means to be a Christian. You don't want that kind of pastor. You will get the pastor you deserve. The ones who are going to destroy your life. And when your life is destroyed, guess who are going to come back to? People like us. It's the truth. You need a pastor who can tell you that the way you're talking to your wife is not right. You need a pastor who will let you know that it is wrong for you to go and fight your wife at home just because she reported you. Who should your wife report you to if not your pastor? She shouldn't report you to your family members. That would destroy your marriage. Don't be getting your family involved in your marital issues. Talk to spiritual authority. That's the right place to go. 
But you see a lot of men today, they are not schooled in the things of God. He's angry at his wife. How dare you take my business to them? Who is them? You're calling me them? Me, your pastor, them? I'm not them, man. Don't be dense, man. <laughs> you know, because I am for you. That's the truth. Because your pastor, we don't have the bias your family members will have. Because that's what makes it a complicated mess when you involve your family, your marriage. There will be that emotional issue. So there will be bias in their judgment. And God help you when you now call your mother, then your wife call her mother, then mother and mother are fighting. You know, I say, don't talk about that like that. Then when I say, ah, you talk about that like that. I will show you. Wait there, let me meet you there. Ah, he told me to run away from the house. <laughs> When you, bring, when you bring matters like that to spiritual authority, we will relate to you on the basis of what the word says. No bias at all. None whatsoever. And it stays with us. And we are not the ones that will now come later and say, that's the way you did it. Eh? But you know your family members will do that one. Five years from now, in fact, even 15 years later. That was how you did when you gave back to your first child. <laughs> then you now regret that, hey, I've made a mistake. Why did I call this woman? <laughs> because there are some people, they will help you now. But wait till 15 years from now. I say, aha. You know, that day when you came, I just didn't want to tell you, you know, you know get sense <laughs> <laughs> Neither myself, nor mom, nor any of the leaders in this church will ever do that. We don't do that here. Are you hear what I'm saying now? It's like an oath of confidence. And I teach all the ministers I train. Once you lose that as a minister, you are not fit to be a minister again. That is, once you lose that confidence that people can trust that when they talk to you, it stays with you. If you can't keep that as a minister, you lost your ministry. Yeah. Because that's the nature of God. What you tell God, God cannot use it against you. Even you, when you are telling, telling God, say, sir, do you remember? Yes, God will say, which one? That's God for you. People have done things when I will look at them and say, oh God, this conversation never happened. So if tomorrow you are saying that, according to, according to Kini, because there are times I look at people and I tell them, don't talk about that issue again. Never talk about it. Not even to me. Even in your thought life, perish it. Because people don't know how to live the past. If you keep talking about the past, you will go back there. It's a matter of time. Stop talking about it. Not even to complain. Stop playing victim. They did, they did, they said, they said, stop it. They have moved on with their life. You are the one that is still there. Stop talking about it. He said, no, you know, that's bad. No, no, no. I just need to vent. Ah, ventilator. <laughs> you know, the world system is very funny. They will tell you, vent it. Just say it. Say it like you feel it. Ah, if you say it the way you feel it, you will kill yourself. Say what the world says. Be careful all these uh, emergency psychologists, this emergency therapist all over the place. They say, just say, say what you feel. Say, you know, vent it, vent it. So say what you feel. Say, I feel stupid. Your hand keep saying it. I feel crazy. So I say. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and they will tell you. They say it's therapeutic. Uh huh. Don't worry. What thing you are
Now, does faith say you should deny how you feel? No. Faith says, identify what you feel, but say what the word says to it. There is no denial there. It's possible to feel stupid. But that's not the time to confess stupidity. So yes, I feel that way. But what does the word say about this? The wisdom of God is formed within me. That's what you will say. It happens to all of us. Sometimes you just see that the devil begins to bring stupid thoughts to your mind. So all your mates have left you. Look at your life. Look at all the mistakes you've made. Blah, blah, blah. That's not the time to start saying it. Oh, wow. Life has left me. Hey, what am I? Don't talk like that. Yes, you feel that way. Now get what the word says about that feeling. Get what the word says about that feeling. The path of the just. It has a shining light that shines brighter and brighter. Though my beginning was small. See, you may be saying it with tears in your eyes. My latter end shall greatly increase. I'm going higher, I'm not going down. Yeah. You know, when David was saying, I shall not die, but live. You can be sure he was feeling like dying. He felt like death was all over him. But he didn't confess death. He said, I shall not die, but live. To declare the works of God in the land of the living. He said, many are there that say concerning me. There is no hope for him in God. He said, but thou, oh God, you are a shield for me. You are my glory. You are the lifter up of my head. He said, you come pass me round about with songs of deliverance. With songs of deliverance. Many things have surrounded him. But he's more conscious of what God has surrounded him with. Songs of deliverance. Which means, I will come out of this thing. I will come out of this thing. What can be more therapeutic than the word of God? He says, it is life to those who find it. It is medicine to all their flesh. That's the world we live in now because any loser they will say, eh, don't go to pastor, so just go to therapist. So no, there are people who need therapists, but be careful which therapist you go to. Yes, sir. Don't go to a place that they now begin to tell you to confess stupid things on your life in the name of keeping it real. You already have been taught better. Yes, sir. That words are spirits. Yes, sir. Words are spirits. Yes, sir. If a doctor tells you something is incurable, tell him, Doctor, I respect your profession, but don't say what you don't know. Just simply say you don't have solution. Yes, because when you say it's incurable, you are going too far. Yes, Just say you can't handle it. Say medicine can handle it. Yes, but God can do all things. Yes, and sometimes you don't need to even get into the argument. Yes, when he says it's incurable, just say no problem. Thank you. Yes, they told Dr. Creflo many years ago he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Think stage two or three or so. Very advanced. He told the doctor, he said, no problem. He said, I'll come back in 21 days. He locked himself up. Stayed with the word. Spoke God's word. Kept speaking the word of God. Praying. Speaking the word. Went back 21 days after. He said, he submitted himself. Test me again. They didn't find it again. No. There's no need to argue. Just don't worry. Thank you. Because medicine is not against faith. They've seen what they, what they, they okay, this thing is there, no problem. So at least we now know what to deal with. So don't make what you have to deal with your reality. Take the truth of God's word and deal with that thing. Take the truth of God's word and deal with that thing. That's what we should do. And that is one of the truths we must, we must 
hold on to stubbornly in this generation because too many people are becoming too academic for their own good. So you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't hey, we believe in the supernatural for life. It's not even somebody like me who will tell that I have seen it. So I've said it all, Mr. I have seen death face to face, and by the power of the word of God, I was delivered from it. I've ministered, I have by the power of God's word delivered people from death. So you can't tell me that all these things are no longer available today. That's anathema. See the power of God working literally in the lives of people. Somebody will not come and say, Oh, you all the supernatural, supernatural. Ah, no, sir. We live by the supernatural. If not for the supernatural, we will not be here. So don't go and join those people who have that kind of you see them. There are many of them these days. People who used to. But now, common sense has taken over their lives. Not me, sir. And that's why I charge some of you. If you have, if God is putting it in His plan for your life to go abroad and everything, don't get to America or get to the to Europe or UK or any part of the world, and then you begin to to now talk like, oh, you both that you are not. I'm saying things that you don't know. So when you get to a, an advanced country where you don't need to trust God for Nepal, and then people now, and that's the reason God they were not they were never fed with the right gospel. That's why when they get abroad, they now say, well, hey, well. What, what is it about now? We don't need God to give us light. We don't need... So who told you that it's because of that we are here serving God? See, what are you talking about? And who told you that those there, because they have health care, do you know how many of them are living with sicknesses? No, our beloved that relocated recently to the UK was telling me, he said most of the old buildings in the UK now, they are being converted into mental homes. Because that seems to be the prevailing issue. People have mental issues, a whole lot. So you are saying, because you don't need God for health, that the Western world don't need God for. Who told you that? Have you gone there to really see the cases, rising cases, terrible, serious health issues? And you don't even understand what they have done is they've accepted it, they live with it, they only just manage it. Should you now go there with all you know and be praising that kind of system where people have accepted the defeat of sickness over their lives as a verdict that they will live with? You see, when you say that they are managing the cancer, they are managing the the, the uh, uh, diabetes. They are managing the hypertension. You are not supposed to manage the hypertension. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Release faith to be healed from it so that you can live a normal life. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because yes, the plan of God for you is to live a normal life. When I say you are managing it, manage what? Don't manage it. Though. Now, am I saying why you are believing God for your healing? You shouldn't take your medication. Take your medication, but don't take medication with the sense of permanence that you will take these drugs for the rest of your life. No, sir. Because anyone who is a medical person will tell you, those drugs are also doing something to you. So you need to be rescued from it quickly. And that's the power of the word of God. It has no side effects. No side effects. That you can talk to your blood pressure. And I don't care how long it will take you. Keep speaking the word. Don't relent. These truths are not truths that we are still trying to see whether they work. They've been proven. Because Jesus rose from the dead. None of his words can fail. Next week we'll talk more about that. We must know those truths that we must hold on to. Because it is, you see, the growth of a Christian is, as he stays with the same things, he's growing and he has a better understanding of the same things. That's it. It's not about so many new things flying all around. No, 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 no. In fact, I will teach you this today. Be more careful for new things, in quotes. New teachings. Be very careful for them. 
<laughs> be very careful. Because what gives us stability and makes us grow is the same old thing. I'll forever keep teaching faith. I'll keep teaching how to be led by the Spirit of God. Growing up spiritually, prayer. You see this? Yeah. How to be led by the Spirit, following God's plan for your life. You see what I'm saying? Those things. Justification by faith. Salvation. That's what we keep teaching. Forever. Have you noticed as we're teaching growing up spiritually now? It's not the same way we taught it years back. It's still the same thing. But it's like we're advancing more. That's the way it is. That's why you can't come to church and say, what is that teaching? Or what is mom teaching? Or what is the series in the church? The growing up spiritually say, ah, ah. Ah, that one that, that taught us in uh, uh, academy. Uh, you know, if I taught ah, no, uh, it's Maruwa Gadis inside the wilderness. Uh, that, that taught us that one. No, 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 I've heard it, I've heard it. Ah, knows how spiritual home training, the one I taught in 2018, is not the same thing I'm doing. You see, because you can't exhaust the truth of God, not even in a year. So, what God does is that every time when He says visit this subject, He places emphasis on a part of that subject. Why does he do that? Because that's the part we need at this time to nurture us. That's it. That's the part we need. And I believe in this series of growing up spiritually this year, God is emphasizing the truth. The truth. You know, I said in a recent time, one of the truths that has been lost to our generation is the deliverance power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many Christians are living with demons. I'm telling you. And I'm not surprised this is. I've been seeing quite a number of my, you know, friends in the ministry, some seniors emphasizing deliverance. Yeah. Because the last move of God on this earth is going to come by serious deliverance. Because the army God is counting on, many of them are shackled. God wants to break them free. I said it in the first service. You're always trying, you're doing something, you always see hindrance, hindrance, hindrance. Many have forgotten that there is a realm of the spirit. That principalities of power, spiritual weakness in high places. So when you feel like, oh, my head, the way my head works is that if I want to do something and I tell people about it, if something just happens, it doesn't work. It's not your head. You just don't understand the way things work. The reason is because you've not prayed enough, but you are talking too much. And that is, demons are not omniscient. They don't know everything. It is what they, they hear you say. So you've spoken in the atmosphere. In the book of Daniel, they are called watchers. They are watching. They are always watching. So, the spirits have heard what you said. And their own job, that's why they are called spiritual wickedness, is to frustrate people. So, you mention, I plan to, I want to, I will do, I will. So, uh, oh yeah, frustrated. Frustrated. <laughs> but in Christ, the reality is, we've been raised far above them. So, but when you don't pray, you have not used that authority. They are speaking as a mere man. So they come at their level. Because at their level, they are above you naturally. It is when you operate from your position in Christ that you are above them. That's why it's good to pray about your plans. Because now when you pray about your plans, you activate angelic ministry. You move the power and the authority of heaven that has been given to you. That is a power those wickedness, those spiritual wickedness cannot withstand. That's the simple equation there. As I went, they seem too tough. Pray and pray through. The angel came to Daniel and said, from the day you began to pray, your prayers were answered. You see, you see it again in Luke 18, in the parable that Jesus told about how men ought 
always to pray and not to faint. And he said there was a wicked judge. Jesus said, God avenges his saints speedily. The angel came to them and said, from the day you prayed, your answer was released. Immediately you prayed. But for 21 days there was a delay. Who delayed the angel? The prince of Pasha. That's a, that's a, that's a ruler. See, there are rulers in the spirit over cities, over territories. But Daniel didn't stop praying. And that's the power of prevailing prayer. You press, press, press. And I came to showed up. I said, you prince of Pasha, get out of the way. Get out of the way. What did the angel, what did the archangel come to do? He made the way through. He was not the one that came to Daniel. His job was just clear the way. Clear the way. There is a way to clear the way when things are, are getting blocked. The way is pray more. When we prevail in prayer, it's not to force the hand of God. God is more willing than you are ready to receive. Prevailing prayer is to weary the forces of darkness. They are rulers. I, I'm not teaching on demonic operations. That's not my teaching. But when you study the Bible very well, you will notice, even from the Old Testament, you will read the Bible very well. You will notice that, see, the, in the world, spirits ruled. That's why you be, when you look at what God did in creation with Adam, ha, God is masterful, sir. Regions have spirits over them. But the genius of God was seen in the new creation man. That even demons, angels, principalities, spiritual great, they all marvel that what is this? Who are these ones? That they can tell that he is still, they are men. But they are God men. <laughs> the genius of the new creation is God moving in a human form. It beats the understanding of angels. It beats the understanding of demons. Because when a man in Christ is speaking, they look at it that he's a human being actually. And he's actually physically on the earth. But he's sounding and he's speaking with the same authority as God himself. And that is what moves things in the spirit. That's why James had to say, Elijah was a man subject unto like passion as well. He said, he prayed that there be no rain for three and a half years. Do you know what it means? That instruction he gave in the spirit affected human beings and spirit beings. Everybody was affected. Because it's like he held the heavens. One man, just one. One man. And everything obeyed him. And when it was time to release it, it was he again that released. So it was not a fluke. It was not as if one demonic spirit said, I want a me on earth. They need this rain. All I'm saying, everybody was implicated. So not that one spiritual wickedness in one, in one part of, of Israel now said, look, my prophets of Baal, my demon associates, they need the rain. So we'll give them rain. No, everybody couldn't do anything about rain. It was when Elijah came back and prayed again. The rain came. Do you know how many people who were demonic would have tried to force that rain to come down? But the word of Elijah held it there. Yes, sir. This man was not in Christ. So. He was also preaching from the, from the prophetic office of a prophet. He held men and spirits hostage for three and a half years. We are above. Oh. <laughs> we are above. We are far above, sir. Because you don't just go to contest with the prophets of Baal and say, call on your God, whether I will, whether I will do it, whether They have spirits that they, that they were banking on. But the presence of Elijah and his authority 
couldn't allow for those spirits to respond. He even mocked them. He said, scream. Maybe they are far away. On the journey, they are coming back. He knew they had some spirits they were talking to. But he had bound all those spirits. He was not in Christ. You are. After that demon spirit that is in the building where you live. Don't go and be panicking at night when you are hearing those sounds. When they make their sound, make your own. Make your own sound back. Even if you don't know what to say here, pray in the Holy Ghost when you hear those sounds. And when you are praying, listen to the instruction God will put in your spirit. And make bold to say what the Holy Ghost puts in your mind. It will come as a leading thought. So I take authority over all of you. I take authority. Because the devil is always banking on intimidating you so that you can't talk and take initiative. So don't allow him to do that to you anymore. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It's an attack of the devil on an entire generation. When people begin to talk down on the power of God to deliver, to rescue, talk down on the supernatural, they don't know that in itself is an attack. Because once you talk down on it, you can't see it in your life. And it is the devil's attempt to shut that area of your life down so that he can afflict you well. So you see a lot of people with problems caused by spirits, but they are trying to use intellect to solve it. That's the problem of our generation. A lot of people are struggling with it in their life. It's the spirits behind it, but they are too intellectual. So they are trying to address the issue intellectually, and that's why it will remain there. It will remain there. Things that you will deal with in prayer. They said the contract that should come to you, they are messing up. Go and pray and fast for the next seven days. It will come out. That your office, that it looks like nobody is coming, no customer is coming again for the last six, six months. Go and spend, go and do video there for the next one. And pray. And pray seriously. You will see what will happen afterwards. Don't be too intellectual. Don't be too intellectual. These are some of the truths that are in the local church. When they help Peter, that they will kill him. What did the church do? They were not looking for anybody in government to talk to. There's no need. The saints gathered in the house of Mark's mother and they began to pray without ceasing. Acts 12, verse 5, for Peter. And God sent an angel. God is still sending angels today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But angels will not move if the saints don't pray. You need to check your life, beloved. Are these truths still a part of your life? Or has modernization taken these things away from you? Are these truths still a part of your life? The way we were raised. We were raised to pray about everything, sir. And I believe in prayer. Everything answers to prayer. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. But everything by prayer. Everything by prayer. Everything by prayer. Everything, sir. Not just a few things. Everything by prayer. Everything by prayer. A wayward child will change by prayer. Is it just prayer? Oh, yes. As we pray, everything will move. When we came to this city of Lagos, most of the members of this church at that time didn't have jobs. And some of you are here. They didn't have jobs. And myself and mom, in the small room we were living in when we first came to Lagos, we wake up and be praying. Sometimes mentioning people's names. And I can tell you, mom is here. We prayed people into jobs. And that was where the anointing came from. Because it was in prayer the Lord began to say to me, every one of them begin to tell them, the job is yours. The job is yours. And it has never failed once. It's by prayer. I don't know anybody anywhere in any company. It's by prayer. People have gotten jobs in this job that they didn't apply for. 
Serious job, so. Prayer answers to everything. Everything. Everything that belongs to you that is blocked. I take authority over every foul spirit that is blocking your way. I command them to back off in the name of Jesus. You foul spirits, wicked spirits in heavenly places. Remove your hand in the name of Jesus. And I release the angels of God now to minister for you. I release angels to minister for you. Let the angels of this anointing go in your favor. Let them bring what belongs to you now. In the name of Jesus. Pray the Holy Ghost, everybody. Come on now. Pray this up. Yes, Lord. Come on now, pray. Pray, pray, pray. You know, pray up your spirit. When your spirit stands in its position, no spirit force can withstand your, your reborn spirit. Let your spirit stand up to its position. Build up yourselves on your most holy faith. Take your stand. Take your stand. Stand in your place. Stand in your place. Stand in your place. Stand in your position. Speak from where Christ has positioned you. Talk from where Christ has positioned you. You are seated at the right hand of God. You are seated at the right hand of God. Far above principalities and powers. Above rulers of darkness. The darkness that overs over cities. Darkness that overs over cities. Overs over families. Take your authority. Dethrone the oppression of that spirit. Bring them down. They are not supposed to be above you. You are above them. That monitoring spirit. Shut it down. Shut them down. Shut them down. Shut them down. It doesn't matter where you're watching from. From New York. From London. Spirits are the same everywhere. Demons are demons. The authority of Jesus walks everywhere. He's the name above every name. Every knee bows to him. Every knee. Command that devil to bow his knee. You foul spirit. Bow your knee. Bow your knee. Lose your authority. Lose your hold. Lose your authority. Lose your grip. I dispossess you now. Everything belonging to God's people. Held down by demons. Held down by spirits. Wicked spirits. We dispossess you. We relinquish those things from you. Let every way that is blocked be open. Every blocked way. Open up. Open. 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 Open now in the name of Jesus. Open in the name of Jesus. Makala Makera Kabariko Story Kabaya. 
Yes, pray a little more. When you get back to work tomorrow, things will be different. Things will be different. Because you pray, yes. Because you pray, things will be different. Things will be different. What was shot against you will open now. Kama topa magali barikati larika stia. Lidronge kerama shakaribo konte yara. Endeli kariaga bakarus teriagos. Brando kandi likiria gena. Hey, gederi asteriga. Delaba, delaba, delaba. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Let me tell you. The ordination of God is that as you go through life, there are certain things that you will point at and say, this happened just because I prayed. Imagine those folks in the house of Marcus' mom. In Acts 12, that prayed for Peter to be released. Every time they saw him, they will be reminded because we prayed. Because we prayed. Don't underestimate the power that comes from your prayer. That is what the devil wants to do. He wants to undermine it. Don't let him do that. The prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous power available. Except you are no longer righteous, which can never happen. You have been made righteous. Therefore, every time you pray, power is released. Even the one you just prayed now. Even the one you just... That's why even the Lord Jesus said, what things ever you desire when you pray. Mark eleven twenty four. 24. He said, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Imagine the Lord just had to tell us. He says, anytime you pray, believe that what you ask for, you got it. I've got it. <laughs> I don't get it because I've behaved perfectly well. No. I don't get it because I even prayed the prayer in the perfect words. No. I got it because I am a son of God. <laughs> I'm a son. That's why. That is why. That is why. You got to be confident of that, and that's why you should use that power all the time. Things were not going wrong, going right before. Pray, let things be through. It is not a normal thing for you to remain stagnant on one position for so long in your life. And I minister it to you like I ministered to the stewards yesterday. The Lord said to me, There is an anointing for better things. The remaining part of this year, I declare over you, start getting better. Start doing better. Start having better things. Let things get better for you. Let everything get better for you. Hebrews 6 9, he said, We are persuaded better things concerning you. Concerning you. Ecclesiastes 7 8. He said, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. This year that is going to an end. Let it end better for you. What did not work before? Let it begin to work now. Let it begin to work for you now. Let it begin to work for you now. 
And I will say to you, as the Lord said, I should say it. Begin to expect better things. Believe God for it. Your marriage will get better. You will be a better man, better woman, better husband. You become a better wife, a better, a better dad, a better mom, a better Christian. No room for deterioration in your life again. Everything is getting better for you. Everything gets better for you. Everything gets better for you. Let your finances get better. Your health get better. Your marriage get better. Your job get better. Your home get better. Your prayer life get better. The devil wants you to be lesser. But God wants you to be better. The will of God will prevail in your life. And I want to charge you to be conscious of these words. Because it's the word of the Lord. He said better things are here. In case you lost something precious to you. Get ready. The better one is coming to you. I saw that in the Holy Ghost. Some of you lost something very precious to you. Yeah. It's the hand of the Lord on you. You lost something precious to you. And the Lord says to tell you. The better one is coming to you now. You see because in every loss. There is a seed of better replacement. God is not bringing equal replacement for you. He's bringing a better replacement. He's done. Online on ground. Something better is here. Better days are here. Better things are here. Better days are here. Better things are here. Glory! You know, in Psalm 65, verse 11 to 14, he crowns the year with his goodness, his parts drop fatness. And he didn't stop there. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness and the little hills rejoice on every side. 13. The pastors are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. Hey! It's time to roar and scare Satan. Listen, listen. This is that shout. Hey, 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 And I tell you, it's all going to happen because of the message of God. There is nobody in this life that can say his results are because he did everything perfectly. Nobody, sir. There are margins of mercy. That where you forgot to put certain things in place, the mercy of God will cover it up. That's why the rest of this year, songs of mercy. Song singing of the mercies of the Lord. How he has been kind. How he has been good. 
will look at 2022 and you will say God you are a good 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 God making ways for me sharing my past doing what I forgot to do hey God of mercy God of grace do you want to praise him do you want to thank him give him some praise Give him some praise. Give him some praise. Give him some praise. Give him some praise. Give him a shout. Woo! Ha <laughs> Glory to God. Were you blessed? We are in the last days. It is people who can hold on to these truths that will last. Many are throwing away what is supposed to sustain them. We are not going to join them. We are not going to join them. These are the things that sustain us. The power of prayer. The power of confessing the word. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The authority of the word of God. The word of God is final authority. Forever and ever. We don't need a new Bible. This same one is the truth of God. For all generations and we stand by it forever hallelujah glory to jesus you've been listening to the teaching of god's word brought to you by god's heritage of faith church our mission is raising stronger believers for more information about our church or to get more of our live transforming resources visit our website at www.hofng.org God bless you.